Welcome to The Blueprint, a podcast for you and your life as a professional. The people I have conversations with don't have to be famous. They have to be making a living doing what they do. My goal is to get you the information you need to make real decisions. Start a career, change a career, get your money right and get a handle on your operations. This is a career day in a box podcast. I am Philip Llanos, and maybe this is the blueprint for you. Ladies and gents, this episode is going to be amazing. I have Heather Maisie coming in. She is a sex and intimacy therapist who actually started a career in social work. So you're going to be getting a really broad level of, of attention and information from someone who's going to break down how to take the shortest distance path. I mean, you're going to have to go through the education one way or another, but hitting those clinicals was something that she did or that she wishes she did sooner. And you're going to find out why. But as a bonus, you're also going to have some tips directly from a sex and intimacy therapist on what you could do during the COVID now to sort of improve your ability to enjoy your partnership at home if if that is what you're struggling with right now. So without further ado, Heather Maisie. Heather Maisie. So I'm super stoked because you are not only... I've had one other woman guest on my podcast, and it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. But only so many people respond to me because of the big mission of the podcast. I, they like feel intimidated by it or something, but I don't see why. Hmm. Um, but you're also the first therapist I've ever had on the podcast. Cool. So double firsts. I'm into it. That's right. Double first. You're into it. And speaking of into it, a part of the therapy that you work on has a lot to do with like uh, romance, sexuality and relationships, correct? Absolutely. So um, I actually work for a private practice called Modern Intimacy, and we specialize in sex and intimacy issues. And so I am a pre-licensed professional and I'm supervised by the amazing and wonderful Dr. Kate Balistrieri. Um, So we're two-person team at uh, Modern Intimacy in terms of the clinicians. And yeah, we see a wide range of sex and intimacy issues. Wow. What kind of uh, education do you have to get and training to to reach that level? I'm not familiar with that. I didn't go to college, so you'll have to help me out. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I actually have a master's degree in social work. So I'm on route to licensure to become a clinical social worker. Um, and that required, you know, three years in grad school, and it'll probably take another three years before I can sit for the exam. Um, so about like a bazillion years, basically. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have the, that many years uh, to change uh, my career, but that, that's something that you changed into or you always knew you wanted to be in social work? Um, I actually went to college to dance and um, that, yeah, I got injured. So that shifted. And then I studied kinesiology because those who can't dance anymore do fitness. Uh, So I studied kinesiology, did that for a bit of time and realized that, um, you know, I don't really want to count to 12 for the rest of my life and be a personal (laughs) trainer. Um, Not to say that that's what they do. That's, you know, what I doing at the time. Um, but I've always had, um, an inkling to help people. Um, and because of my own personal life experiences, I chose to, um, go further into social work. Um, 
which is, you know, the study of helping underserved populations. And um, after grad school, I did a couple of different jobs and then um, decided just last year that um, I want to pursue the clinical route because not all social workers do clinical work. Um, There's there's a lot of variety, but um, I love people and I love being with people one-on-one. And there's so much complexity to each individual that I've now chosen a path for myself that for the rest of my career, I'm going to get to meet and support the journey of really interesting people. And I, I couldn't think of anything better to do with my life. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and so how does social work tie into intimacy? Uh, how did you make that jump? Well, I don't know if they like particularly uh, link up. For you, for you, how did you make that jump? Yeah. So, you know, I jumped into doing clinical work and what I'm most interested in it, generally speaking, is um, sex and intimacy, because there's just so much, there's such poor sex education out there. Oh, yeah. Right? America. <laughs> America, yes. Um, there's such poor sex education, and there's so much misinformation around what it means to be in a committed relationship, or what it means to be in an open relationship. And I don't know what your, you know, dating or married life is like right now. But um, it's, it's a, I like to call it the wild and wacky world of dating. Um, because it's, you know, it's different. It's different from five years ago. It's different from 10 years ago, different from 20 years ago. And people need help and people need support. And sex is, we live in a society that still, there's a lot of sexual shame and stigma. Um, and I want to be a, a part of maybe not, um, necessarily out there advocating. Um, I do on, you know, social media, but, um, to hear people's innermost thoughts and fears and worries and help them overcome that. Um, because Everybody deserves to have great sex and meaningful relationships. You know, relationships, yeah, relationships are what make life. So I guess you could tie underserved population. You know, underserved population is people who need help with sex and intimacy. Yeah, no, there. I think in the modern age, that's. I mean, Japan has a serious lack of sex. You know, um, due to the cultural norms, and you know, there's more old people than young people, and they're not really even anymore but in america with uh the apps being the easiest way to choose whether you want to be with someone or not and even then it's mostly just texting in fact there's such a text culture that even phone calls which is another form of intimacy and creating that i mean i think being able to be on the phone with someone and wanting to be with them like close but you can't it sort of creates that tension necessary to inspire people to want to be together I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things that have shifted. So I can imagine your work gets pretty, uh, pretty uh, dicey where, <laughs> you know, both on the positive spectrum and the other side of it. Now, do you yeah. find yourself experiencing more conversations where like the negative connotations of poor sex education uh, and the experiences that creates are your everyday life or a lot or more of the, uh, you know, learning the Kama Sutra and the, uh, and uh, the tips for, you know, um, What's the other one? Uh, the breathing techniques. I forget what it was called. Uh, <laughs> tantra. Yeah, and Tantra and all of that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I should say, you know, I'm still new to the field, which is why I'm studying under, you know, a certified sex therapist sure. who's providing such amazing education. But in my experience thus far, unfortunately, it has been more of the negative, like experiencing mm. people who are dealing with infidelity, um, people who are dealing with um, compulsive 
porn and masturbation um, and, you know, people who are really just struggling from toxic relationships and, you know, narcissistic partners and things of the sort. There's not, I haven't had a lot of people yet, and I say yet because bring them on, I'm ready for it, that are really seeking, seeking therapy because, you know, they want more information. They want to have better sex. And I also right. think that's, you know, part and parcel of the times that we're in. We're a private practice that doesn't take insurance. And so, you know, for people to pay out of cash for mental health right now, um, it is challenging. It's hard to make that phone call, sure. even to have a consultation to go, I need help, you know, and because of our culture, people put sex on the back burner. It's not like, oh, I need to lose 50 pounds. So I'm going to hire a personal trainer. And that's a priority because I just got diagnosed with diabetes. It's like, oh, me and my partner haven't had sex in 12 months. Well, we've been married for five years. So, eh, you know, it's, it's the way we're doing it. That brings up a huge opportunity to transition into something that I know you can speak to given your expertise and the time right now, Uh, because this podcast focuses on people shifting careers or pivoting or starting new careers and the way the world is working right now with (laughs) COVID-19 and everyone being indoors so close to each other, irritating each other potentially, um, and how that affects and impacts sex lives. What's your take on, you know, the top three things someone can do to make sure things stay sexy at home? Because sex, I imagine, this is just my my assumption, plays Mm -hmm. a huge role in the health of or mental health of of uh, of a person, especially couples. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see. Top three tips. Well, I think the first one is communicate. Right. And that seems so, let's just say basic, but that's the truth. Um, I think people get into sometimes committed monogamous relationships and they start communicating about their needs, wants, fantasies, desires. And these things change and evolve over time. Um, And if you're not communicating these things with your partner, you're expecting them to read, read minds. Um, You know, nobody's a mind reader. So just learning to communicate. And I like to suggest to couples like after you do have sex talk about it what did you like what did you not like what would you like to try next time right it's like let's learn to be open and honest with each other um because people have yes why not um because if somebody did something that you did not like how are they gonna know if you don't tell them and if they did something you really like praise it three times right (laughs) oh that thing you did i really liked it Couple now, hours later. <laughs> do, yeah. do you think now this is just me trying to think if a listener was listening, what they would ask now, do you think that that's sort of like a, like a, like a turn off or it might come across as criticism? Let's say if it was bad, for example, because I know, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, both men and women, actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a sensitive subject. You know, if somebody says, Oh, I didn't really like that. It, it, it might ruin sex forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is why we need to communicate openly with empathy, right? Mm. And it's the way you communicate it. If you're coming at somebody and saying, that thing you did, that really sucked. Never do that again. That's very (laughs) different than if I come to you and I say, hey, you know that thing that you did? I just want to let you know that I felt this way when you did that, right? Like taking ownership of it. It's about you and your experience, right? And mm. nobody can experience sex for you. So it's it's trusting each other enough to speak with empathy and 
you know, being, being patient with one another too, especially if it's a new relationship, because we know that, you know, maybe the first time it's not so great, but mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't communicate, it's definitely not going to get any better. So, right. So yeah. communication around communication. sex is number one. Number one. I think another important thing is, you know, keeping it spicy, like novelty is key in relationships and in sex, right? If you're doing the same position over and over and over and over, it's definitely going to get boring. So spice it up, try new things. That doesn't mean you have to go to like a BDSM dungeon and, you know, tie each other up. Like if that's your thing, please do it. But it could be as simple as, um, you know, having a sexy date night that you've planned. Like you want to go to my IG, I, I post, um, I try and post like one a month of like sexy date night ideas, but how about drawing each other naked? How about having a Vegas night at home? There's this awesome thing on Instagram right now called the black tape project. And like they tape, they tape people and it looks awesome. And it's super sexy. You know, like buy some duct tape and get weird, tape each other. <laughs> you know, for, for most people, sex is not just about intercourse, right? It's about the entire experience. So what are you doing to change up that experience and bring novelty, mm. right? The newness, the freshness, because if you're in a long-term committed relationship, it, it will get old eventually. So what can you right. do to enhance it? And that makes me worry about a lot of things. <laughs> and, and especially if people are, if people are locked indoors, I mean, how, how inventive can you possibly be? I guess imagination is going to be key. Yeah, you can be totally, you can be totally inventive, right? Like go out and buy some different foods and blindfold each other and feed them and see if you can, you know. What if you have kids? What if you have kids? Okay, well, how about, what are they called? Uh, babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have kids, so I'm clearly like, what? I know, I know, I know, but it just you, some, you can just imagine there are probably people who are like, okay, babysitters, but COVID, so I can't do that. And it's like, it might be tough. So what are some things if you had to stretch the uh, the efforts and the tactics and strategies to fit that mold that you could tell the person dying, wanting to have awesome sex mm-hmm. finally, but mm-hmm. the kid has been pulling on you all day. Uh, the guy just doesn't get it or you, like, who knows? You know what I mean? I'm not saying all guys don't get it, but I, I you know, a large portion of them are clueless. You know? sure, I probably sure. am one of them. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. If you have children and they're in the other room and maybe they're sleeping, it doesn't have to be a big production, right? So many people complain that there isn't enough foreplay, right? And foreplay can start earlier in the day with flirting, with a, you know, smack on the butt or a, a text. You know, even if you're in the confines of your own home, you can increase foreplay from 30 minutes to six hours, right? And then maybe you're finally in your bedroom at night and you're not worried about like what's going to happen, but there's a technique called sensate focus where there's no genital touching. You're just kind of exploring each other's body and noticing all the sensations. And how nice to kind of go back to the basics with somebody that you love and you want to make feel good and, you know, simple. You don't need anything. You're just being with one another. And I think you know, that's just a gift. If, if you can be present and maybe you only have 30 minutes, but being present for 30 minutes, you know, really being Mm. there. So there are ways to be creative. I see. So 
with intimacy, it doesn't have to be just the actual act of sex. In fact, this might even happen over the course of a few days where you can entice and sort of create that energy and sort of just make it real electric so that the minute you do get an opportunity to have a quick experience, you could just, you know, <laughs> do that and get back to whatever you were doing because it, yes. it, I don't think it takes a lot uh, to get, to get someone to feel good again, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's this really fun exercise that um, Dr. Stan Tacton, who's actually the creator of PACT Couples Therapy, which is what modern intimacy follows. There's an exercise called beckoning. And you really just kind of stand apart from each other. And without any words, you take turns trying to, you know, allure the other towards you, right? Mm. Beckon them to come to you. And, you know, it's like, what a fun game to increase intimacy, increase connection, and just be present there with your partner. And who knows what would happen after that. But it's like, how do you, how well do you know your partner, you know, and can Ooh. you more? <laughs> Right. It really reminds me of sort of trying to recreate the experiences and the things you were doing when you first met, you know, like when you first yep. lock eyes and, yep. and uh, the careful touching to sort of gauge how someone feels, which are all things that kind of go by the wayside when familiarity sets in. Yeah. Yeah. Learning to be strangers again, you would say, huh? Ooh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to put it together here in a way that, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that would be number two, right? So for communication yep. and uh, you said foreplay, right? And, and, and no, novel, of, novelty. Novelty, novelty, right, novelty. Yeah. And then if you had to throw a third one in, if you can, just, you know, three is a magic number. It's a good number. <laughs> yeah, I think um, novelty is great, but, but something else to kind of increase intimacy and, and hopefully intimacy, greater intimacy leads to greater sex life is really learning how to become a secure functioning couple. And what I mean by that is really becoming like a partner whisperer, if you, if you will, right? Like, do you know your partner's tells? Like if they're anxious or uncomfortable or afraid or sad or lonely, like, do you know? And how do you respond to them? And how do they respond to you? I was just about to bring that up. One thing that I've <laughs> noticed, you know, in my own life, and I'm sure many others, especially in this time, is sometimes your partner will be going through something that has nothing to do with you. They're just feeling some kind of way today. And there is a tendency for people to sort of tit for tat in relationships, especially as they, as the longer they, they've been together. Well, yeah. if you're not going to call me, I'm not going to call you or... <laughs> If you're going to be in a bad mood, why should I try to be in a good mood? And <clears throat> you're bringing up something about that I think is important where it's like you have to be the, the one that plays. Somebody has to play the role that brings things back to balance. You can't continually match your partner's energy for what reason, right? Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you decide to be in a committed relationship, you become one another's primary attachment figures right? It's like, that used to be your parents, maybe it was your friends, you've decided to be in this relationship, you're now, you know, partially responsible for one another's emotions, thoughts, feelings, and, and helping to regulate those, right? So yeah, playing tit for tat and warring over, you know, you did this, so I did this, and da, 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 da. it's like, stop finding the bad guy, find each other, right? Because mm. it, it, relationships are never going to be equal, right? There, it, that's just not how it works, but there can be some equity, right? And so how are you meeting your partner's needs? If your partner, you know, one technique is 
like on a daily basis, that might be too much for people. But if you can identify, you know what, I'm at like a 60% today. And your partner's like, okay, I got your other 40. You know, just like really, that, I mean, that's a true secure functioning relationship is wow. being able to say, I'm at a 60. Can you give me an extra 40 today? How wonderful would that be? <laughs> well, that would be great. I mean, usually they don't communicate it. You just go, wow, they're totally at a 40 today. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, that at least in my experience, it's been that way. You know, um, there's always one person who wants to communicate more than the other at, at different times. As you say, there's, it's never equal, but there's sure. equity. Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's choosing, choosing those times to communicate as well, right? If somebody is uh, running late to work and they're trying to get out the door and you've got kids and they're yelling and uh, you know, you go up to your partner and you're like, Hey, like, I need to talk to you right now. Like I'm, ha I'm having a feeling eh, maybe not the best time, right? It's learning to, to find those moments. And, you know, I suggest to couples have like a CEO meeting once a week right? Just like you would have with your work, you know, relationships take work. So are you putting in the work to make it work? It's a lot of works in, in one phrase. <laughs> no, but it works. I got another one in there. I got another one in there. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, it's, it's funny. I think, I think a lot of people are reluctant to create formalities in relationships because mm -hmm. they believe that it takes away sort of from the natural or authenticity Mm -hmm. uh, aspects that a relationship has, but it seems like all the uh, professional advice is is anchored in creating a an open formal channel to not be perfect. And it's ironic because perfection would seem more formal than the than the uh, creating a channel where you can say, "Hey, I'm not perfect, and I'm just not feeling like this today." and and then partners not taking it personal and realizing it has nothing to do with them. It's your partner and you're just supposed to be there if you're committed. Yeah. And that's what it know, sounds like. Yeah. And the, the challenge really is that, you know, if couples aren't, are living in this bubble, especially right now, right. You're creating this echo chamber of we're struggling and we're, we're trying to figure things out. But if you're not communicating with other couples and you're not relating to others, you know, couples will come in and they're like, oh gosh, is everybody like this? Is, is it this hard for everybody? And yeah, I mean, the truth is yes, right? What you see from afar on social media or when you're out at a dinner party is people being on their best behavior. Like, is that reality? Mm, most likely not. So how are you communicating with other people? Like what's happening in your relationship, right? It, we can't create this echo chamber of nonsense, right? We need to know, we need to talk about it, but people are afraid to raise their hand and be like, you know what, we're kind of struggling. Um, we, we create, you know, all these support groups and help for people when they're having a problem, but even when things are going well, you still need support, right? You can't just wait for the problem. So what types of strategies and tools are you using when things are going well? Mm, to sort of maximize what's happening yeah, and, and understand why it works and why it is well versus like, how did we get here? And you just don't know. And you're just hoping it doesn't go bad. Okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Cause that's yeah. usually, that's usually the case, right? It's it. And I think that comes back to the point you made earlier. No one's a mind reader. Right. Nope. And that's being able to communicate. 
Yeah. And being able to communicate like, hey, I really liked that you did this or maybe not so much that it just, you know, those kind of signals are we go from nonverbal signals to to verbal signals as the uh, commitment time increases in a relationship. Is that is that fair to say? Sure, sure. But I, I think everything is nonverbal when you first get to know someone, right? <laughs> yes, but the, the the you know assumption that people then fall under is that well, I know what he would say anyways. Well, I know what she would do anyways. Mm-hmm. Right? We have this wonderful thing in our our brain called Tom. It's our theory of mind, right? Where we can basically assume and predict people's reactions based on you know our own knowledge of just the way people work. And the longer that we're together, right, that gets stronger. And, you know, you really need to do yourself a favor and take a hammer and smash that. Um, give people, even if you know what they're going to say, give them the opportunity to behave differently, right? Or give yourself the opportunity to behave differently to their response, right? Because mm-hmm. if we just think we know everything, uh, it just it has such a negative connotation, right? If we're like, well, I know he's just going to, well, you don't know right? Like, even if you think you do, just pretend differently, see what happens. (laughs) There's a, there's a huge benefit of the doubt that should be given to a partner. It sounds like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And see, and these are all things that I feel like people probably to some degree into it, but they need to hear it again, especially from a, from a professional that's like doing it day in and day out, whether working under someone or or with someone or having their own practice. The, The point is, these are the strategies that you give to people and you see results from these things. Yeah. I mean, not everybody is meant to be together. Not all relationships are meant to work. <laughs> the other out. side of it, huh? Okay. You know, I'll, I'll put that out there, but if you're willing, if you're willing to put in the time and the energy and you want to be in a committed relationship, you can make it happen, but it doesn't just, you know, You can't not ever think about it and just think everything will be okay. You can't not communicate and think that your partner understands you and knows what you need and want. It it takes work. Even if you are somebody that's, you know, trying to participate in ethically non-monogamous relationships or open relationships, that even requires, you know, even more communication, right? Because there's, you know, so much hurt at risk, if you will. So... Yeah, I, I cannot emphasize enough the need to communicate. <laughs> yeah, and and there's so many different ways to define communication in a relationship that the fact that it's emphasized so it's because of how many different types and that someone should be aware that are involved with communication. Right? It's nonverbal, it's verbal, it's formal, informal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, no, I, I could see how that all that plays a role and especially in closed spaces like we're dealing with today and before we get too far away on this i i actually i thought about something that i think a listener would care to know at this point uh is do did you did you have given the fact that you now have the opportunity to work under someone as you work towards that final uh licensure um Mm -hmm. Was that something that you had to like network to get into uh, where you could finally work under someone? Or is that something that's given once you like you have access to a forum and your educational uh, community, you know, from school or how did, how did that come about? Did you have to hustle for that? (laughs) I think that's a great question. I'm, I'm a firm believer 
whichever way you want to take this today, it's it's more about who you know um, to, to help you get into the door. And then it's about expanding what you know, right? And so mm. I actually came upon this opportunity because of uh, a former, you know, associate friend, if you will, somebody that I knew from kind of my area, um, reached out to her, let her know, you know, what I'm interested in. And she connected me to this practice because um, I told her I was interested in working in, you know, sex and intimacy. So right. for, for me, it was, you know, the, the hustle really was taking the time in transition from my, my previous work to really sit and ask myself, what direction do I want to go? Um, that is really what took like the time and the energy. And once I made that decision, it was like, okay, who do I know that's doing this already that can, you know, help open doors. And, you know, I've never had a, um, I don't shy away from networking or any of those opportunities because I just love people. Um, I think it's a little bit harder now, right? Because we can't do any in-person networking. So sometimes you just become a a name on a piece of paper, but, you know, thankfully social media is, is great for that. Um, there's some other avenues, but, you know, m- my advice or suggestion to somebody else would always just be, you know, you never know if you don't ask. Right. Mm. So send, send as many LinkedIn or IG DMs as you want to try and get a introduction because you never know. You just brought up a great, great point we can talk about. And that's, there is there is a i think an under appreciated opportunity in linkedin right now career wise uh that people aren't taking advantage of because most people still see linkedin as a online resume instead of a community and most people spend more of their time on sites like uh instagram and uh facebook uh hoping to talk to their friends or community about things that they're doing, telling the stories of their day to day. But then they don't spend any time on LinkedIn beyond sending an application into whether it's easy apply, which no one's going to see that. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the, that's part of like, I, don't, I think it's like a legal thing that companies have to do. Uh, but I think the missed opportunity, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is you can directly speak directly to people who work at the companies or the industries that you're interested in and build relationships to so the way you're, the way you're talking about now. And it's not being done. I mean, I don't know how you utilize LinkedIn, but I'd love to learn more about how you currently engage LinkedIn, whether it's just creating posts or just paying attention to who's in your industry. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I really don't use it that much, but I would, I would definitely suggest it to others because when I was initially looking, you know, in my kind of last position, I was on there every day trying to message people that were in the industry. I think the, the challenge becomes, you know, there's some hidden, hidden fees, if you will, that you need to unlock if you want to talk to certain people. Um, (laughs) If they really the premium wanted subscription, to, yeah, you know, if they really wanted to help people, like make it free, like Facebook, so we can all just easily, you know, interact yeah. with each other. I think people sure. may may utilize it more if it was free in that sense. But you're absolutely right. Like, especially now because we can't connect in person, you know, you, you have to connect. Otherwise, you just become a name on a piece of paper. And you'd be really surprised at the amount of responses I did get from people you know, trying to message them on LinkedIn, even if it was just like, hey, we're not hiring or like, hey, let's set up a call. Um, 
the truth is like when people have found like their niche and what they love and what they want to do, they want to help, you know? So it's like, you know, nobody likes to ask somebody for a ride to the airport because you're like, oh God, I feel so annoying. Like, oh, but the truth is you're giving somebody else like the opportunity to be human and help someone else. Same thing with, with networking and reaching out. Give somebody the opportunity to be a human. Wow. I like that. Yeah. Giving people the opportunity. You know, it's, it reminds me of the Kabbalah, actually. Uh, they, the Kabbalah talks about this idea of like true giving being uh, only when one person wants to give and the other wants to receive. Mm. Uh, whereas some charities work on just giving people, even if they didn't ask for it, but giving someone the opportunity to receive from you and them giving you that opportunity for you to give to them, that creates some sort of energetic. I mean, it's a little, it's a little out there. It's a little, you know, beyond the scope of the podcast, but it, <laughs> it really is reminiscent of it in the sense that you should be giving people the opportunity to help you because there are people out there who want to be mentors and because that's the only way they could grow. Yes. I mean, and that's what's so beautiful about the relationship um, that I have with, you know, she's called my supervisor. And so anybody looking to pursue a career in therapy, whether it's an LCSW, an LPCC, or an LMFT, you end up, you know, training under the auspice of an agency or a practice, and you get to connect with these supervisors who essentially are mentors. Um, and, you know, that that has served me more in my life than, than anything else, right, is the people that are above me willing to help guide, right? And you have to have a level of humility to, to help somebody below you as well, right? So, yeah, I like that. Maybe your, your next podcast will be more esoteric focus. Yeah, 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 it could be. It could be. Um, actually, I was actually interested in knowing... Uh, Specifically, is there a, a stigma that people should get over in terms of therapy in the realm of sex and intimacy that you deal with constantly? I think the stigma that people don't need to, that I would like to see people get over is that it's okay to ask for help around sex and intimacy issues. Um, it's okay to not know. Um, it's okay if you've never experienced an orgasm in your life. You know, it's okay. Like all of these things are okay. Like, again, we have, you know, such a poor sex education other than just don't have sex. Um, and you're going to, you know, you're going to die. You're going to get STD and everything's going to go terribly. Um, I think just a level of openness. Um, and just because somebody sees a therapist doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. Right. It doesn't mean you're pathological because you see a therapist. Um, that's just you know, a level of ignorance that some people have. And I would say that a large percentage of therapists actually have their own therapists, because guess what? Like we are people too, with emotions and feelings and challenges. Um, so yeah, the, the stigma is everybody needs help with sex and that's okay. And the other stigma is that, you know, just because you have a therapist does not mean there's a pathological issue. Um, some people just you know, we all need a little support sometimes. And, you know, your best friend, your partner, let's be honest, do they have an hour a week to listen to you without any other distractions and to help you build a blueprint for the best version of yourself? Like, maybe not. Most of the time, your conversations are going to be, you know, reciprocal, which they should be. Um, 
But in therapy, it's about you, right? I'm sitting there and giving you all of my attention, time, and energy because we're there to help you. What a mm. gift. Wow. Okay. And how how does how does uh, therapy from a clinician clinician standpoint differ from practices like uh, uh, neuro linguistic programming and all the other like not necessarily certified by the state board of <laughs> La La Land? You know, like <laughs> how how do those differ? Because I know that a lot of times um, people get this this uh, misconception that therapists want to sit there and milk the clock you know it, it's a thing that floats around you know, but the, that's not the truth i mean any therapist worth their salt wants to see results from people because that's what brings in more people so maybe you can talk to those two different things number one is that misconception that people have oh they just want to sit there and listen to my problems and indulge me but not actually help me and then the other is how does that differ from the other practices out there, like why is it able to be certified by a state board of LALA versus like these practices that are kind of, uh, you know, more on the woo-woo side? <laughs> yes, I, I mean, the perfect distinction of it's more woo-woo. And that's fine. If woo-woo is your thing and, you know, you want to talk in the clouds and uh, there, there's so much to be said, like for both, right? But what you're getting with... Um, trained professionals, um, certified, licensed professionals is um, what we call, kind of my mind is going blank, evidence-based practices, right? Is that we are engaging in long-term goal planning objectives and the use of specific interventions. Um, I might not be verbalizing all of those things to a client in session, right? Because if I start going okay, well, I see that you are now moving into sympathetic arousal. Let's adjust and, you know, regulate using, you know, dialectical behavioral strategy number 237. Um, like we're going to go through, right? Like nobody needs to know that. They just want you to help them. But that's what you're getting from licensed and trained professionals is mm. specific interventions, a level of education and a level of understanding cognitively, behaviorally, physiologically, right, rather than just basing it off of kind of, you know, intuition, right? We use that as well, right? But there's sure. a level of, there's, a, there's much more background and education behind it. And there's a reason why, Philip, I have to accrue 3,000 hours before I can work outside of the supervision of Dr. Balistrieri, right? right? Anybody can go for a life coaching uh, right. work over the weekend. I can become a healer, you know, over the weekend. And again, I, I'm not judging and I'm not putting any of those things down, but it is, it's very different. Um, and so, you know, I think the important thing is to know that they're not the same. They're not the same. Sure. It depends on what you are seeking. And there may be therapists out there who are trying to milk the clock. You know, you have to do your due diligence of, you need to interview the therapists, ask them, you know, what is the orientation that they use? Um, you know, what do they hope for from their clients? How do they do treatment planning with their clients? How often do they like to see their clients? Um, you know, do, do your work before you engage in any type of relationship with a therapist as well, because if you just sign up willy nilly, well, that's on you. Right, no different than lawyers, right? Yeah, 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 it makes absolutely, sense. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, for many therapists, 
just like other professions, right? It's, it's word of mouth. If you've been able to help serve and support somebody else, they may tell somebody, right? And so that's really important for us. Mm. I like what you said earlier, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not just intuition. There's a doctor behind that intuition that people need to keep in mind. Uh, and one that went through rigorous, <laughs> rigorous training and, uh, you were subject to a lot of questioning. Oh, really? Is, are you sure you can do this? Well, let's see, prove it. As opposed to, well, if you tap your face three times here, you know, your chest <laughs> a few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's okay. a reason they call it evidence-based practices. Practices. Right? There's, yeah. there's evidence. There's peer-reviewed journals, right? I'm, I'm not sure about the peer-reviewed journals of the woo-woo world, um, right. but- you know, licensed professionals are using science. And that's, mm. that's the major difference. That's huge. No, um, especially for someone looking to get, because there are people who want to consider the career of um, going into therapy, but then they're like, oh, but it's going to take like 12 years. Or, or I can just become a life coach and start making my money right away for three payments of nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> You know, um, did you uh, did you at any point consider becoming a coach before you decided to go into the, the actual legitimate route? <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't. Um, but that's because I, I went to school and I already spent all this time and money on um, an education. And I really value um, intelligence and, you know, understanding. And again, there's there's nothing wrong. There's a there's a time and a place for, for life coaching and healers and all those things. I just bring it back to what are you seeking? If you are experiencing or if you've experienced sexual trauma, um, a life coach may not be appropriate for you, right? Because they probably aren't trained in how to deal with trauma, right? Um, if you are experiencing, you know, you've just experienced infidelity in your relationship, right? Um, a life coach, you know, just might not be appropriate. So it's just kind of, again, you have to put the onus back on yourself. And what am I, what am I really seeking? What am I, what is the goals that I am wanting from this? Um, if you're just looking to, you know, lose weight, you'd go to a personal trainer. You wouldn't go to a therapist. Um, if you're looking to deal with childhood trauma, you're probably going to want to go to a trauma specialist, right? So. Again, it's all, it's all based on what what you're seeking. What is your goal? Right. So if you had to start your whole path all over again to get to where you are, how would you do it differently to shorten the time if it was a more direct path for you? And then, yeah, close out. Yeah, if I were to go back and do it differently and shorten my kind of trajectory, I did have an option to do a two-year grad program. I chose the option for the three-year program so that I could also work. I think I may have chosen the, the two-year program. And, um, you know, I shied away from clinical work in the beginning because of one experience that I had. Um, I decided to pursue more macro-level social work. Um, I wish I had given myself a bit more time to consider um, and start the clinical work sooner um, because now I've got, you know, quite a bit of a a time frame in order to get licensed. Um, but the truth is, you know, I am where I am and uh, just enjoying the journey. So yeah, if anybody is interested in becoming a therapist, it is, it is a long journey, but 
it's worth it. You're referring to the 3000 hours or whatever that you have to, that you have to put under the belt. Yep. That you, that you could have done in, in tandem with the actual education itself. No, you actually have to complete your education prior to starting licensure hours. So you, you have, I mean, that's just, you have to do it first, but I decided to wait to pursue the hours. Um, I, I tried to do some macro level work first. Um, so I could have been licensed by now, but I decided to do something that wasn't clinical first. What so. does macro level work mean? Just for the listeners and myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my apologies. Uh, more big picture, kind of like um, administrative advocacy, um, rather than you know micro work as clinical one on one. Macro mm. work is big groups, if you will, gotcha. so, like corporate society. trainings and things like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, versus one on one, which is clinical work. Which is where you ended up finding that you actually enjoyed doing the work. Yep. Yep. Super cool. Okay. Is there, is there anything you're working on these days that you'd like to tell people about anything, anywhere you want to direct people's attention to now that we're bringing this uh, conversation to a close, which was great conversation, by the way. Yeah. So much fun. Thank you for having me, Phil. Um, I would say, you know, I'm trying to build uh, a network uh, of support and information on Instagram. So you can find me just at other underscore Maisie on Instagram. And if you are, you know, seeking therapy, um, interested, um, please check out Modern Intimacy um, at modernintimacy.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at The Modern Intimacy. Um, again, we offer, you know, therapy and sex and intimacy issues and, and really, you know, all other mental health. Um, that's just kind of our emphasis. So if you need help in any of those areas, you know, reach out today and we can set up a free 30-minute consultation to talk about your goals. That's cool. I'm loving it. Okay. Uh, Heather, seriously, uh, Heather Maisie, like you said, rhymes, <laughs> yeah. rhymes are crazy. Not all of us are crazy. Um, yeah. And uh, so are the internet connections in uh, the COVID-19 world. <laughs> uh, we, we had a bit of trouble wrapping it up, but I'm so glad you stuck with it uh, because I think that this episode is going to be interesting for a lot of people, uh, specifically because of the tips and perspective that you offered, you know, so generously for people dealing with relationship issues right now in the time of COVID. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate, I hope we can have more conversations uh, as time goes on and I come up with more ideas or you come up with an idea of how we can better talk to people transitioning in careers or dealing with relationships and career transitions, which I believe we touched on to some degree. Um, maybe sure that's the next that. episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the full next episode. <laughs> All right, well, Heather, thank thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Thanks, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Blueprint. I hope it was helpful. And as always, I'm open to feedback. Please follow our guest where they directed you to. And also connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can even get more personal and connect with me on Instagram. Either way, let's network. Let's build and let me know who else you'd like to hear about. What other industries and professions you're interested in.